Hey, podcast listener, even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial pursuit, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs all around the globe seeking to do the same thing you are. If you want to know more about this program or this podcast or want to get barraged by a lot of annoying pop-ups, check out our website, lifestylebusinesspodcast.com. Yeah, buddy, it's Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, and that means it's time for another Lifestyle Business Podcast. Today, I am welcoming to the program, as is per the usual, my captain, my co-host, a man who misses Asia like the desert misses the rain. Welcome to the program, Ian. If you stick around to the end of the episode, I'm going to share with you an audio call by a podcasting genius. And for anybody who's interested uh, in creating great audio, which is something that Ian and I have not so far been been too great at, something we're definitely trying to improve, stick around to that. And also, we'll teach you one way to make your Mac OS even faster since Ian and I are currently both on Mac OS. We encourage you to join us. Ian, how about that new MacBook Pro, man? Has it been working out for you? It's bala, man. It's totally bala. I was looking at turning in some points the other day on our American Express, and it looks like we can we got enough points to get another one. So you want another one? Yeah, buddy. That sounds fantastic. <laughs> what are my options? We got a bunch of new iTunes review this week. Our last iTunes review says, The only podcast endorsed by the one and only Bruce Dickinson, because that's just the right amount of cowbell. Thank you, sir. Also, we got another review. Five stars going bamboo. These guys rock. If you read the four-hour work, we can want to know what to do next. This is the podcast for you. Thank you, sir. And thank you to Zach Gallinger for the ex- excellent advice. Five stars. Two guys really making it happen. iTunes reviews get me pumped up, Ian. Ian, a couple days ago, you told me you used one of our quick tips to spy on our competition servers, and you found some pretty juicy information. Let's give a quick reminder of what we're talking about here. Yeah, it's super easy. Actually, we'll uh, put a link to uh, David Crandall, too. He actually uh, came up with a little, I guess you call it like a little script, yeah. right, that you put in uh, your uh, browser there, and uh, you can kind of do the same thing, but uh, more in more detail. So basically, all you have to do is you go to Google, you type in site, S-I-T-E, colon, and then you type in the site. It basically just does a search on the site, and you can see everything uh, that that person might have hidden on their site. And so we did this the other day, very simple, uh, with one of our competitors, and we found out that they have a portal for the Marriott, which is one of our customers. So we got to see their pricing, their options, all that good stuff. So just a little tip for you guys. Baller. Very cool. Hey, one more thing. If you guys aren't Tropical MBA readers, I'm launching semester eight tomorrow, or actually Thursday when this launches. Semester eight will be live at the Tropical MBA blog. How is that? We've been on eight internships. Can you even believe it? I can't believe it, and I can't believe how you just gave away how long it takes to produce this podcast or how behind we are. We're supposed to record this like four (laughs) days ago. It's going live tomorrow. Great. (laughs) <laughs> Typical stuff. Hey, one one thing uh, from Chris at myegnals.com, my favorite travel and adventure blog is launching this year for the first time only the Asia sourcing event. That's going to be on October 19th, 2011. For anybody who wants to manufacture products in China like we do, that event is basically like a complement to the mega show 
in Hong Kong. So if you're going to the mega show, I encourage you to go to Chris's Asian sourcing event. In fact, if you're a listener to this podcast, you get a $50 discount to that event if you type in Tropical MBA. If you're interested in more details on that too, you can just email us and we'll get you in contact directly with Chris. Yeah, take notes while you're over there, guys. Yeah, absolutely. I want to hear about that. Um, so today we're going to talk about a topic brought to us by listener Mike, who's actually from San Diego, but living in Malaysia. Um, and he has a Hong Kong incorporation as well. He asked us about our Hong Kong incorporation and also about our Filipino corporation. I'll tell you why we're, we're, we're sort of fast-tracking Mike's questions, because he purchased the first 50 episodes of this podcast, which helps support the show and which pumps me up. So if any listeners right now are interested in our first 50 episodes, I still think they're good stuff, man. In fact, some of our best episodes are back there. For the first three people that buy the last 50 episodes of this podcast this week will give you a free membership to our private forum, The Dynamite Circle. What do you think about that bonus offer, Ian? Uh, I think I feel uncomfortable. Uh, that's a pretty good. Uh, that's a pretty good deal. It's a pretty good deal. I mean, the the forum is reserved for people that have real stuff going on. But I'm assuming if you're stepping up, you're chunking out the change for our first 50 episodes. You're dedicated to sort of, you know. You're not busting a shin. You're going for it. So we want people in the forum who are contributors who are going for it. So if that matches your description, uh, you know, sign up by the first 50 episodes, support the show. So let's move on to the meat and potatoes. Today we're going to talk about International Incorporation 101 and why we believe internet business owners should strongly consider setting up shop in Hong Kong. This stuff is so complicated. So I'm going to come with a, just a standard disclaimer, which is to say, we don't know what we're talking about, man. And that's part of the fun of this stuff is this so entrepreneurial. I mean, there's so many different ways you can set up um, your business structure, the ways in which and who you pay taxes to and all this kind of stuff. It's a lot of creativity and no one really has the final word on it. So my overall advice to you is that you get as many resources as you can. We'll try to point you in as many useful things as possible and then make your own decisions about what's best for you and your company. So first we want to talk about how this all works and the basic setup of getting a corporation in Hong Kong. So Ian, off the top, we are going to start a whole new slew of internet ventures that are going to be based out of Hong Kong, but you live in the United States. This is kind of a crazy thing. Why would you have a corporation in Hong Kong, but yet still sell to customers back in the U.S.? There's tons right. of reasons. Ian, how about you give us a few? What are the first couple things that pushed us out the door to start getting started setting up offshore corporations? Well, the first thing uh, that pushed us out the door probably was uh, the tax bill that we got every year from the United States. So that was a, that was a big kick in the ass. Um, Not cool. Yeah, I mean, you work really hard to make this money. And then, uh, you know, depending on what tax bracket you're in, a lot of it gets taken away. There's a lot of reasons why you would want to have a Hong Kong corporation. You know, the first one, I guess, is you can be more liberal with your expenses. Here in the United States, um, you can't be so liberal with your expenses. You know, if you go out to lunch uh, a lot, maybe have a couple beers, uh, you're not supposed to be able to deduct that alcohol. That's just one. That's just one thing. I can come up with tons of examples on that front. You know, like your primary automobile in the United States, like your drive to work, for example. Um, like the money that you spend to transport yourself to work, that's not tax deductible. Like, and, and you know, I'll tell you what, like just from a philosophical perspective, I feel like I spend so much of my life focused on creating value and building these businesses that employ people and that, you know, deliver quality products to people. It's like a lot of 
I feel like a much greater percentage of my expenses have to do with business than the U.S. government thinks. And what I'm finding in places like Singapore and Hong Kong is that they're much more business friendly in terms of what they're willing to look at as a business expense. And that alone can save you thousands of dollars annually. One other thing, one other thing that's unique about Hong Kong is that if a Hong Kong corporation creates a transaction outside of Hong Kong, there are no taxes on that. So you're saving tons in corporate taxes too. And this can be different depending on how you're set up. You know, corporations and individuals and LLCs are all taxed differently. Um, and, and these are things we can get into in the future. But, you know, your corporation, which would be taxed in a place like California, is not going to be taxed in, in Hong Kong. So let's just explain a hypothetical situation here. So you've got a company that sells eBooks and you're out of California and so you're currently getting taxed by California. You make a sale in California and you have to pay sales tax on that too. So let's say that you start that company in Hong Kong. So now you've got a Hong Kong company that's owned by an American, which is 100% legal. And this Hong Kong company is selling eBooks. So the Hong Kong company makes a sale and it's to somebody in California. Well, according to the Hong Kong government, that sale didn't happen in uh, Hong Kong, it happened in California, and therefore it's not taxable. And so uh, basically, you are tax-free on that transaction. Um, it, whereas if that would have happened in California, you would have been taxed on it. Yeah, and what's interesting about this, Ian, is that none of this is a red flag. I mean, maybe it sounds a little crazy from, you know, it definitely sounded crazy from my perspective as a small business entrepreneur, but actually this stuff is fairly common. And so this isn't going to tip off the IRS as if you were opening up, um, you know, five different Virgin Island accounts and flying off to Panama every other weekend. I mean, this is pretty above the boards, not a red flag. And the advantage of that is that you can get set up with services like PayPal relatively easy. And that's going to be important if you're running an online business. I mean, if I often think of this, Ian, in terms of layers like an onion and stepping stones. So as you move along in business, you gradually generate new entities and you're sort of diversifying your money and assets around the globe. Um, one of the, I think Hong Kong and Singapore, and this is another place that we'll talk about soon, represents some of the first best next steps for Westerners. Um, you know, maybe your next layer of the onion is going to be something that requires a little bit more knowledge or understanding or even cash. Um, but this is something that's above the boards. It's not going to tip people off. And it's relatively easy for you to set up and get running, even if you don't have a lot of expertise. I mean, we're pretty much bozos and we've got this stuff out the door pretty quick. I mean, we've, we've got up to speed on it and it wasn't that difficult. So again, if you think this sounds like a little bit overwrought, I encourage you to reconsider. This is not that weird of a thing to be done. It's, in fact, it's quite common. I think it's very common for large corporations to do this. And so now it's kind of trickling down to guys like us with small businesses. Uh, now that we can fly around the globe for fairly cheap, we have access to services once you get in Hong Kong and we have access to people that know about this stuff. And so now it's becoming more and more kind of common for small businesses to go about doing things like this. Yeah, so why don't we talk about costs really quick? I mean, what's actually involved in setting this up? One of the things that amazed me when we flew to Hong Kong a few weeks ago was how simple the process was. I mean, it's been obvious that this is we weren't the first people who have uh, had this idea. I mean, this is where sort of the backbone of Hong Kong's economy is allowing people to easily do business there. I mean, we walked into HSBC and walked out with business premium accounts in in less than 20 minutes. 
Yeah, less than 20 minutes. Uh, you say easy, but I remember about four or five hours filling out paperwork while you were uh, swimming, I think. I think that's what you're doing. Yeah, well, it's the delegation. Right. <laughs> no, but it is fairly easy. So we, uh, we, we worked with the company Jumpstart, and we worked with them over the internet long before we actually met them. And we started out filling out paperwork. And by the time we got there, everything was set up. Yeah, and, we'll link um, you to Jumpstart. Wait, give me an overall, what do you think the costs are if you just t- took out the travel costs? How much did it cost us to get the credit cards, the HSBC accounts, and the, you know, we've got the incorporation documents and all that kind of stuff? It'll cost you 600 to to $1,000 max. Boom, that's huge. Before we went to Hong Kong, Ian, we talked a lot about Hong Kong versus Singapore. I don't want to get too into the nitty gritty of that. We talk about that a lot inside of our offshoring mastermind group. But just as a broad stroke, I want to put Singapore on the map for people. I mean, I think Singapore is a little bit more expensive, but it is a legitimate option. And it's very similar sort of in the benefits and the sort of procedures that you would go through with a Hong Kong corporation. So also something to look into. One other quick thing that we're paying for with the Hong Kong corporation is mail and phone. So people can actually contact our, our corporation, send us stuff. And how does that work, Ian? So you can contract through Jumpstart or you can contract through other services there to get a phone number that just goes to a receptionist or it actually goes to your email and the same thing with your mail. You can have your mail go there, they scan it for you and then they email it to you. I think it's like, I don't know, around $60 a month, but you do need a physical address and you need a phone number in order to get going with PayPal. So whether or not you maintain that, that's kind of up to you, but you need it initially to get going. You might be able to find a friend or somebody that you know that can provide that for you too. So a lot of people might be thinking, ah, does this really apply to me? I mean, who are the people that legitimately don't need to be focused on setting up these offshore corporations for their internet businesses right now? I mean, I think one of the things you could consider is if you're an expatriate and you're spending more than 330 days outside of the country or more than 335 days outside of the country and you're making less than uh, $100,000 a year, so you qualify for the Earned Income Act exclusion, maybe a little bit premature to start considering an offshore corporation. That said, there are some benefits to sort of getting this stuff out the door early in your earning career. One of the things I like to think about is sort of setting up for your future. I mean, you want to sort of plan for success. And one of the things that that can really be a problem is if you make like a big bundle of money without the right financial structure. And then all of a sudden, like the next year, your corporations made all that money and you didn't really earn that income anymore. That can be sort of a red flag for the IRS to have like a big win one year. And then all of a sudden you come back the next year and there's no money on the books. I'll tell you what's a red flag for us is this podcast talking about all this stuff. Jeez. <laughs> hey, that's why we got to put it out there, man. You, know, you put it out, <laughs> put it out there for the people. Here's the thing. I mean, this stuff is all above the boards. I mean, none of this is worth becoming uh, a sort of a tax evader for. That's correct. No amount of money is worth going to jail for. That's the bottom line. I mean, we're all, fundamentally, we're doing business so that we can be free, so we can have more freedom. So, and I would never jeopardize my freedom to make a few bucks, that's for sure. So, let's talk about the general, um, 
Well, a couple more reasons you might want to do this. I mean, there's kind of the basic stuff that people talk about with incorporations. There's the sort of the degrees of legal separation. There's developing credit for sort of a certain uh, corporate entities. There's the sort of transferability of like selling corporations onto other people. Um, but I don't think we need to get too deep into that kind of stuff in this episode. What I want to sort of round this out is, is this general idea of keeping value inside of entities. And this is a legal way to reduce your tax burden, which is something that we want to do as people who are trying to make as much money as possible, trying to maximize our income. So there, there is this idea of sort of making sure that the corporations are earning money and you're not earning money. And that's why we are firm believers in setting up entities. Because as Americans, any income that you generate you have to pay taxes on. So basically, you don't want to make that much money. You want your businesses to make money and then find ways to defer that income. So here's some right. basic strategies on deferring income. One is spending on your entities. So I try to basically earn as uh, a lower amount of money personally and spend less money personally and try to spend more money on the business. Again, one of the advantages of the Hong Kong Corp is that you can do that more liberally. So in America, you have a little bit harder time doing that. But in Hong Kong, no problem. Right. So whereas most people who have a business, um, you know, like for example, I'll give you an example. The Bali house that we live in, that we currently use as an office and as a sort of a center for our business, um, that's a place that I can also manage to bundle my rent expense into. Um, whereas a lot of people listening to this podcast might be paying their rent post-taxes. So your rent bill is 35% higher than the person who's managed to get that spending into their business in sort of a creative way, a creative and a legal way. The second thing is using your businesses as investment vehicles. So if you've got a bunch of money in your business, rather than earning that money, the tax codes basically incentivize you to find investments for that money. And there's some creative ways you can do that, especially when you're abroad and you've got more flexibility in what you can consider an investment. But one of the ways you can legally do this is you can look out for things to invest in with the profits that you're creating. One final thing is deferring income to the future. And this is something that we you can do in a bunch of different ways, but we did this last year for one of our big projects is that we just pushed the income. So whereas if you've got a sole proprietorship, right? And um, you put up an ebook on like how to make money online and all of a sudden like 10,000 people want to know how to make money online and you just made yourself a million bucks. As a sole proprietor, you just made a million bucks to the IRS and that means you have to pay the IRS their fair share. Whereas if, if that's a problem, if you've got a corporation though, you can find ways to legally defer that income into future fiscal years and then basically that buys you time figure out what to do with that income. And that's another way that corporations can protect you from earning, essentially. You want to protect yourself. And that way, when you do make that money, because of course, you have to make money at some point. You have to pull money into your personal bank accounts. When you do do that, you can make sure you do it in a thoughtful way, in a planned out way, in a way that minimizes your exposure. So one final bonus question, Ian. That's just sort of a brief overview of why you might want to get started with Hong Kong overseas incorporations. Mike, the podcast purchaser, also asked us, why would we even bother setting up a Filipino corporation? So I got a few thoughts about that, but I just wanted to sort of sprinkle this in here. Setting up a Filipino corporation is way more difficult than setting up a Hong Kong corporation, and it's way more expensive. So I wouldn't really recommend it unless you have a real reason to be there. 
There are some advantages to having it. For us, we've got domain expertise in the Philippines. I mean, I lived there for a year and a half. And so, you know, that's expensive knowledge to earn. And I think I wouldn't recommend to people proactively going and doing that just for to have a Filipino corporation. Much better to go off and get yourself a Hong Kong corp. But having a Filipino corporation, that's sort of like that third step. It's not the second step, but it would be a good third step after you set yourself up in Hong Kong. If you guys got any more questions about this stuff, please let us know. I know we can only scratch the surface on this. And if we sound a little bit confused, it's because we are. So we're going to move on to the quick tips, tricks, and or funny jokes section. Hey, real quick here, uh, before we get into this, uh, can you tell me what's, uh, you know, one, one thing when we were over in Hong Kong setting up this corporation, I noticed, uh, well, you know, what's going on with the Hong Kong outfit for the guys? I mean, what's the, what's the, what's up with the uniform over there? It's a real bummer, dude. It's a real buzzkill because you think Hong Kong and you're going to be going there and you're going to be banking and you're going to be doing all this cool stuff. And, and, and instead you see just a bunch of corporate guys all corporate and derping around together. And uh, it's no fun, man. I think all I think all the boys over in Shenzhen have the right idea. I think Shenzhen's the place to go and get it done. So what I'm talking about here is uh, in Hong Kong, everyone wears uh, maybe this is just in the summer, but everyone wears black slacks and a button down and like a nice silver watch, right? And that's like it. I mean, you just there's a sea of guys that wear the same outfit, and like the shirt is like the only thing that varies, and the shoes, like maybe the shoes are brown or they're black or they're gray, and that's it. Everybody looks the same. I I was amazed when we first met our landlord in Hong Kong. He asked us if we had just gotten back from a volleyball tournament. So yeah. uh, the flip flops and the singlets don't go well over in in Hong Kong. Two quick tips before we send it off with a awesome uh, piece of video advice to this podcast from Dan Lyons. I really like Dan Lyons. He's a member of our forum. He's got a website called How to Make Podcasts Like a Pro. And what we're trying to do over the next few months is improve our podcast quality without sacrificing, uh, without spending too much money, without making it a big pain in the butt for us. So Dan Lyons gave us some really awesome feedback, and we're going to play that in just a minute. Two quick things before that. Anybody who didn't install Flux from last week's episode, I'm still absolutely so thankful for this application when it turns on when the sun sets every night. makes my computer easier on my eyes. I really enjoy Flux app. Check it out. One quick thing for Mac OS users, if you do use Spotlight, which is command space to launch applications quickly, which you should, I recommend replacing the Spotlight app with the Alfred app. And this is a quick tip I got from David Hehen Berger and it's Tropical MBA number two. Thanks for that quick tip, David. Can't wait to see you here shortly in Bali. All right, Ian, so let's play this thing out with Dan Lyons from How to Make Podcasts like a pro. And if you want to make a business like a pro, we would recommend respectfully that you go make a cold call. Booyah. Hey, and just one more quick thing for you listeners out there. The first three listeners to sign up for our podcast, to purchase our podcast, will get a free spot in the Dynamite Circle. Booyah. Okay, so the very first step is just to bite the bullet and get Adobe Audition. Adobe Audition is an industry standard audio editor that has excellent plugins that can really give you that radio quality sound on a budget. So once you have Audition and you're about to record some basic things to check, you want to make sure that you have a sample rate of 44100. 
Okay, this is going to guarantee that you're recording at a really high quality. And you also want to record your vocals in mono. You don't need to have stereo vocals. And that's going to make things easier as well when you mix things down. Now, Dan, you also said, should I record MP3 files? No is the simple answer on this one. You want to record your master file as a WAV file. You see, if you record and you save right away as an MP3 file, you're recording at a lower rate. That's why MP3 files are so much smaller than WAV files, because you're essentially crushing the file down. The second thing to remember is when you do record, make sure that you check your input levels. Because I have noticed in some of your episodes, Ian is marginally louder than yourself, Dan. But the reason why we want to record at equal levels is because when we go to compress the audio at a later stage, the compression is going to have to work harder and this can make things actually sound worse. You get all sorts of weird audio anomalies, things like pulsating, stuff like that. Okay, the third thing to remember is to always EQ your vocals. So if you want more bass on your vocals, you can turn up the bass. If you want to have sharper sounding vocals, then you increase the top end. Finally, the other thing that you need to do is compress your audio file. Basically, compression is the process of evening out the sound of the whole file. Generally speaking, radio stations run everything through giant compressors. And again, several great compression plugins come with Adobe Audition. Well, guys, I hope you found that useful. And of course, if your audience wants to start their own podcast or perhaps would like to take their podcast to the next level, I've made a free 20-minute video. It's over at coolvideogift.com. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. Don't be shy. We've got a mailing list, lifestylebusinesspodcast.com. Go there, get yourself signed up, and we'll keep you up to date on everything.